Hey friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, I'm your host. It's great to see you here. I'm glad that you dropped by. Uh, this is episode number 211, and uh, we're talking to Neil Donald Walsh again. The man, the myth, the legend, uh, Neil Donald Walsh. He was on the show last summer talking about his series of books, Conversations with God. Uh, and I mentioned in that episode how when I was in high school, I was told not to read his books. I got one of his books from the bookstore, and I was told to get rid of it, and so I did. It's <laughs> the good Christian boy that I was. Uh, I gave it away. I got rid of it, and uh, then, being the uh, the wayward soul <laughs> that I am, all these years later, I picked it back up again. I'm like, dang, this is really good stuff. And so he came. He came on the show last summer to talk about it. This time around, he talks about his his latest book, The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love. And we're going to talk about love, we're going to talk about God, Jesus, uh, the Bible. We talk about uh, the oneness of all things, maintaining hope in turbulent times, uh, so many different things. Uh, the episode, I'll have you know, we mentioned it in the episode, but just as an upfront, uh, this conversation was recorded two days after the shooting in Texas uh, at the elementary school. And Uvalde. So uh, everything we're talking about, and I feel like I feel like you'll feel some of the emotion in the conversation. Um, but everything we were talking about is being viewed through that through that lens. And uh, I'm glad that the episode was recorded after that, not before, because I feel like it really fueled a lot of what Neil was saying and the way he was answering my questions. Uh, Because we talk about it at the end of the episode, but, you know, it's sad to say, but in the world we live in, and I hate to say this, I hate it, but it's almost like you know that something else is going to happen, right? It's just the world that we live in, whether it's on our soil, someone else's soil, like what's going on in Ukraine, all these different things, some other catastrophe will happen. And one of the questions I asked Neil at the end is, in a world where Things are constantly happening, and it just feels like one thing after another is just blowing up. How do you not lose hope? Like how do you, how do you hold on to hope when it feels like everything is so hopeless? And uh, Neil gives a beautiful answer. Uh, this is a really great conversation. And you notice I, I give Neil a lot of space to talk. Uh, like I don't interrupt him very much. Uh, because Neil's one of those people, very much like Alexander John Shia, very mystical in his thinking and his thought, his speech. He's one of those people that, like, when they when he talks, you you just you you shut up and you listen. <laughs> you, you gather your questions as he's talking, but listen to what he has to say. Let him finish his sentences, and uh, I'm glad I did that because I went back and listened to this uh, a couple of days ago, and I'm like, man, I'm so. I'm so glad we had this conversation and I'm so glad that I went off script, so to speak, because I had a list of questions I wanted to ask him and I only got to like two of them, one of them. And then everything else after that was just kind of, uh, we'll just see, see, see where the spirit leads as they say. So anyway, I'll put all Neil's links in the show notes along with my book, uh, Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show. Uh, all the links will be in there. I'll let you know that Patreon's changing. Uh, come September. And I, I'm thinking about maybe doing like a solo episode at the end of the summer. 
uh, to kind of reflect on five years now of the podcast and reflect a little bit on what I've learned, how I've grown, and also a little bit about Patreon because Patreons can be changing. Uh, it's going to be much more focused on community, less focused on content because content we have enough content, right? Bonus podcasts, bonus blog. Who has time to read more things and listen to more things? I don't. And so instead of just giving bonus information to people, uh, why not generate some community so people who are Patreon supporters can get to know each other and feel less alone on this spiritual journey? So that's the biggest change that's coming. Uh, in, in addition to that, every tier, usually like the higher you get, the more money you give, like the higher tier, you get more rewards, right? So like right now it's set up where I think it's $3 a month gets you a, a blog post early. Uh, $7 a month month gets you a podcast episode early. $20 a month gets you like a sit down with an author to kind of pick their brain about their book. Instead of doing that, every tier is going to get the same rewards. Every tier just gets the community aspect, which is going to be different uh, things we're doing to create the community. But it's the idea is that some people have more money to give than others. But if you don't have as much money to give as somebody else, you know, is it, is it really fair that you don't get, you don't get the same level of community that, that you would get if you gave more money, right? It's kind of like a church. Like if somebody tithes 1% or 10%, both people are part of the church, right? And they get to, they should be able to share in the benefits of being part of that church, whether it's Bible studies or dinners or, uh, different kind of groups or get-togethers or gatherings, whatever. Like you don't tithe more money, and then you get more money. You get more. You get more benefits than the people in the pew behind you because you gave more money. It doesn't work that way, right? Everybody gets the same stuff. So I kind of want to make Patreon the same way. Like I want to make this like a real, a real place to foster and create community. And so everybody gets the same reward, which is different aspects of community. And I'll be talking about that more. I mentioned it on Facebook. It's also on the blog, whatifproject.net. Uh, there's kind of a deeper explanation of the changes that are coming to Patreon. So if you're interested, uh, check it out. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. So anyway, all that to say, my friends, episode number 211 with Neil Donald Walsh. to my knees praying to god bless me with my one and my needs know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed only thing that i ask is that you do set me free free falling to my knees praying to god bless me with my one and my needs know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed only thing that i ask is that you do set me free look sometimes it doesn't hurt to be selfish no i got a big heart i like to be helpful some people take it for granted it goes for all levels no, I might sound crazy. They can be Got a hey, everybody. Got Welcome the back to the On podcast. The Today we're joined by a repeat guest, our friend Neil Donald Walsh. Now, last time he was here, uh, he talked to us about a series of books, Conversations with God. And today we're going to talk about his latest book, The God's Solution. So, Neil, uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's always an honor to share space with you. Thank you, Glenn. It's lovely to be here. How can I serve the moment? All right. So... Let's dive, let's dive into this book. Your book, uh, The God Solution, is 
It's so good. And the subtitle is The Power of, of True Love. So when Actually, I want to ask it's The you, Power of Pure Love. Power of Pure Love. Sorry, going off of memory. <laughs> the Power of Pure Love. Uh, so the God solution, the first question I would have for you is if there is a solution, there must be a problem, right? So what is this solution aiming to, to solve? So maybe talk to us a little bit about the problem uh, in the world today, perhaps even the biggest problem that we have uh, that this book is addressing to or aiming to speak to, aiming to give a solution to, and then maybe a little bit later we'll hit the solution. But for now, uh, the problem, take us into that. Well, the, the problem in the world today, the biggest problem in the world today is that nobody seems to know, at least nobody in authority seems to know what the biggest problem in the world today is. Mm. No, no world political leader, no world economic, you know, titans of business and industry, no world economic leader. And sadly, not even any world uh, spiritual or religious leader seems to know uh, the, the 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 problem the biggest problem in the world today they can see the they can see the uh, the outfall mm -hmm. they can see you know, the result the result of the biggest problem is I can put it in one word alienation mm -hmm. I've never seen such alienation uh, in my life as we are seeing now on the planet but we don't know what's causing the alienation people don't seem to understand what is creating this this, this circumstance in our experience. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the challenge for us then is to find a way to solve the alienation. Mm. And, and but, but what I call the God dilemma is people who believe in God, and recent surveys have shown that eight out of 10 people mm. believe in a higher power. But we can't seem to understand what, a, what that higher power is or what it wants or what it does if it doesn't get what it wants. And, how we can use that higher power if we can use it at all. Mm -hmm. That's what I call the God dilemma is if there really is a God, why doesn't he come down and fix all that's going on in the world today? What, what, you know, what is going on and, and why doesn't God fix it? Mm -hmm. And the answer is that God uh, did not want to create a civilization of minions, people who simply subjects like in the loyal, like in a royal kingdom, where you simply have to do what the king says, or you know you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So uh, the intention of the divine is to empower us and all of its creations everywhere in the cosmos to produce their own reality through the process called creation, through the use of the power that divine has created and that has placed within every living entity. Every, every sentient being in the cosmos. Mm. And that's the power, what we, what we call in our language, manifestation, mm. the power to manifest our reality. We simply haven't learned how to manifest our reality. Mm. And so we haven't learned how to overcome our most primitive cultural characteristic, which is violence. Mm. And you're uh, seeing violence everywhere we look in the world today, mm. whether it's U Uvalde, Texas, or Buffalo, New York, or Ukraine, or Yemen, or elsewhere in the world, we, Ethiopia, you know, we're just seeing violence everywhere. And we, we tend to use violence, verbal and physical violence, to solve our problems. You know, you know what, uh, Glenn, we, we, our culture is so primitive, really, we have a primitive culture. We even see violence as entertainment. 
We've been doing that since we were cheering the Christians being eaten by the lions in the Colosseum in Rome hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I went to, you know, when I was in Rome a few years ago, I actually visited the Colosseum. Mm. And I was standing there trying to imagine, because, you know, there are several thousand seats there in the Colosseum. And I, I was picturing people at that time sitting there cheering, uh, cheering on the, the, what they saw as entertainment yeah. as, as the curses were being thrown to the lions. Mm. It's a matter of history. And we've been doing it ever since. Mm. We, actually, we actually use entertainment uh, as a means of experiencing our violence. You know, we know what's interesting? We, we pull our kids out of the theater and say, if the movie is too sexy, it's, it's too, too sexually explicit. We take our 10 and 12 and 13 year old children out of the theater. I shouldn't have brought you to this movie. I'm sorry. But if it's violent with hand grenades, and bombs going off and people getting, we, we sit right there. In fact, we take them to it because it's an exciting motion picture. Yeah. That's an indication of the kind of culture we have. Now, where does that come from? Where that comes from is our, is our idea of what it means to be divine. Because we have decided as a species that, uh, and, and when eight out of 10 of us believe in a God, those eight out of 10 people believe in a God who is judgmental, condemning, and punishing. That is to say, a God who is violent. We either do what God wants or God sends us to everlasting damnation. Mm -hmm. And we'll make sure that we suffer incredible torture. The, you know, the, the tortures of hell have been described by virtually every one of the world's major religions for thousands of years. Yeah. So, so we, we have this idea that, oh, I see, either you do what God wants or God will be violent. What the world needs now is a civil rights movement for the soul. A civil rights movement for the soul, freeing humanity at last from the oppression of its belief in a violent, angry, and vindictive God. Mm -hmm. We believe in a violent, angry, and vindictive God. So we feel we can be violent, angry, and vindictive with each other because after all, we're simply modeling God's behavior, the behavior we've been taught that God uses with and on us. Yeah. So what the God solution suggests is, what if we had that all wrong? I mean, can, can we imagine, and I know it's blasphemy. I understand this is apostasy. <laughs> I understand this is heretical, but... You're on you know, the right podcast, Neil. You're good. Well, George Bernard Shaw started by saying, all great truths begin as, as blasphemy. Mm. So supposing that we have got it wrong. I wrote a book once called God's Message to the World, colon, you've got me all wrong. Mm. What if we've got the whole understanding wrong about who God is and what God wants and what God does if he doesn't get what he wants? Mm. What if, what if God, in fact, could be redefined? And that's the God solution. Mm. The God solution says, let's join together as a civilization to redefine who and what God is. Mm. Because by doing so, we would automatically redefine who and what we are. Mm. If our intention really is to emulate the highest essence that we understand to be, mm. you know, the so-called higher power in the universe. So what if we could redefine God as pure love? Now, I got to tell you, uh, Glenn, just about this time, and, and when I give these little talks in public, somebody in the back of the room will, will stand up and say, oh, Neil, 
I've been listening to you for almost 20 minutes for you to tell me that God is love. <laughs> we, all, we all know that. Right. Even religions who differ on their doctrine and their dogma, they all agree that God is love. God Frankly. 101, right? <laughs> and I have to say to them, wait a minute, I didn't say God is love. You didn't hear me say that. Mm. That's not what I said. If you're going to call me on what I'm saying, please repeat what I said, not what you think I said. Mm. I said God is pure love, not God is love. Now my antagonist in the back of the room will fold his arms and say, okay, what's the difference? I say, well, the difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. Mm -hmm. Dare we believe in a God who doesn't even care if we believe in him? Mm. Dare we believe in a God who doesn't get back at us if we don't do what we think that God wants us to do. Mm. Now, this, is not, this is not a small thing, by the way. The list of mortal sins put up by the Roman Catholic Church is enormous. When I was nine years old, I, this is a, a, an experience I've never forgotten. When I was nine years old, I went to a Catholic school. My parents put me in a Catholic school. And in the third grade, my teachers told us, uh, actually, the priest came in once a week to deliver catechism class. And the priest said to us, children, you do understand that missing mass on Sunday is a mortal sin. If you don't have a good reason, if you're working, if you're you know, a parent and you have to work, fair enough. Or if you're taking care of a sick parent, whatever, okay. But if you don't have a good excuse and you miss mass on Sunday and you should, God forbid, get hit by a car on Monday and die, on Tuesday you'll be in hell because it's a mortal sin to miss mass. A mortal sin means you go straight to hell if you die before confessing the sin and having it absolved by a priest. And I'm like, well, that was, of course, you'd, you'd have to understand, Glenn, that was the very week that I missed mass. Mm. I went almost every Sunday of my life. I was an altar boy, in fact, for heaven's sake. Mm -hmm. But I've, in fact, this particular Sunday was the big game at the playground down the street our, our playground versus the playground across the city in a, in a softball game. It was the World Series of Playgrounds. And I, was, I, was, I played right field and I had, to be, I had to be there to play the game. So I missed mass that Sunday. Of course, that would be the Sunday this priest comes in on, on Wednesday and tells us, you know, I just committed a mortal sin. Right. If you don't think that'll throw the fear of God into a nine-year-old, because yeah. I wasn't 19, yeah. I wasn't 14 or 16. I wasn't able to put the data together. I'm nine years old mm -hmm. and I'm believing this guy. So I'm racing to the confessional on Saturday because they only had confession once a week in our church. And I'm, wait I'm waiting until Saturday, hoping I'm looking both ways to hope that nothing happens to me between now and Saturday or I'm going to hell mm -hmm. for missing church one Sunday of my life. Now, that's, I, I that's, by the way, it's a true story. Any, any Catholic will tell you that's exactly what they were taught. Mm. Now, that's just one of a hundred examples that people of all religions could give you to tell you what it is that God is like mm. and how, and, and to justify our own behaviors. We get to love each other in the same way that God loves us mm. by punishing each other if we don't do what the other person wants us to to do or what yeah. what or if we don't or if the other person doesn't do what would we want them to do yeah and we're seeing that all over the world yeah. we we've had 
from the beginning of time, Glenn, we've had we've had armed conflict on this planet for all but two percent of the world's history. Mm. And now, you know, we're recording this. This is a pre-recorded program. I assume people know that, mm. and we're recording it a day or two after the massacre of nineteen second and third graders at an elementary school yeah. in Uvalde, Texas, by an 18-year-old guy who walks in with a semi-automatic long rifle weapon, an assault rifle yeah. that he managed to buy without any background check, without any, re just goes into a store and buys an assault rifle, because you know, that's, our, that's our right as Americans. Mm -hmm. And he bought an assault rifle and goes in and shoots up 19 children and two teachers. 21 people killed before the police finally stopped him and killed him. Mm. Glenn, there's a huge dysfunction in the human species. And we, can, we can write it off and say, well, some people simply have mental issues, mental problems. Yeah, you know, okay, fair enough. But there's, there's something larger at play. We have a species that's addicted to violence. Mm -hmm. We use violence to solve our problems. As I said just a minute ago, we, we use it as a form of entertainment. Yeah. You know, we cheer when the football player is taken off the field on a stretcher because you know, of the violence of the game, and he got hurt so badly that he had to be taken off the field on a stretcher, and the fans jump up and cheer his bravery and his courage rather than asking, why are we creating a game where you have to wear equipment to stop yourself from being killed? Mm. What, 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 what kind of a culture does that? Yeah. What is what is it that we are addicted to? And of course, the answer is violence. Now, here's here's what I noticed, Glenn. Our species keeps trying to solve its problems at every level except the level at which the problems exist. Mm. We're trying to change our behaviors. We we ask people to change behaviors. Don't behave that way. Mm. But you can't get people to change behaviors when they're holding beliefs that sponsor those behaviors. Yeah. So we keep trying to solve the problem at every level, except the level at which the problem exists. The problem is our beliefs. You have to change your beliefs because beliefs create behaviors. And behaviors create your experience. And your experience creates your reality. You want your reality to shift on this planet? You've got to change the belief that produces the behavior that generates the experience that brings you to your reality. Now, what is the belief that we're holding that causes us to behave this way with each other? It's really quite simple. We believe in separation. We have an idea that we're separate from each other. We're separate from God. We're even separate in some metaphorical way from life itself. I mean, life is something that's happening. We're watching it, but we have virtually no control over it. We're even in some strange way separate from ourselves. We look in the mirror and don't even know who we're looking at. We don't even know who we really are, why we're really here. What is the point of all of this? We have no idea what's going on because we believe in the idea of separation. But here was the first message that I got in conversations with God. The very first message in the very first chapter of the very first book of 39 books in the Conversations with God cosmology. 
And this, the message was, Neil, there's only one thing. Everything is part of a one thing there is. There is only one thing. Or to put it in simple terms, we are all one. Now, if that's true, what I do for you, I do for me. And what I fail to do for you, I fail to do for me. And what I do to you, I do to myself. And what I do for you, likewise, I do for myself. But we can't seem to stop ourselves from hanging on to the idea of separation. We've created, Glenn, a separation theology, a whole theological construction that says God's up there and we're down here and never the two shall meet except, of course, on judgment day mm -hmm. when we'll be told what we did wrong and then we'll be sent to hell. Yeah. Or if we're lucky, we only get to have to go to purgatory, which is a, you know, like a, from when we commit a venial sin, purgatory is kind of like a, you know, little suburb of hell. <laughs> it's the nicer it's, section. <laughs> well, it's like hell, but it's not forever. Right. I've had a couple of marriages like that, but that's another story. <laughs> so, so, so we, we believe in a God, you know, that, you know, is separate. And that's the separation theology. Yeah. Now, the problem with the separation theology is if that's, okay, fair enough. If that's your belief system, fair enough. If that's all there was to it. But the problem is it doesn't stop there. Because a separation theology creates a separation cosmology. That is a cosmological way of holding life that everything is separate from everything else. And a separation cosmology inevitably creates a separation psychology. That is a, th a thought in our own mind, oh my God, I'm out here all by myself. It's me against the world. I'm, I'm out here. I mean, at the bottom line, I'm all alone here. And a separation psychology inevitably produces a separation sociology. Sociological behaviors that demonstrate our separateness, but we try in our society to join other groups at least as a way of ameliorating or reducing or bringing to an end our feeling of abject separation. So we belong to, we join political parties, we, we call ourselves nations and states, we call ourselves, you know, classifications. We're either gay or we're straight. We're either conservative or we're liberal. We're either poor or we're rich. We're either black or we're white. And we have all these classifications to stop us at least from feeling that we're separate. So we belong to little groups that create our own little agendas. Oh, this is my agenda. Our group has this agenda. Oh, and by the way, not only is our agenda different from yours, yours is the problem. It's you guys who are the problem. Yeah. And the problem with a separation sociology is that it inevitably creates a separation pathology. Mm. Pathological behaviors of self-destruction, mm. evidenced throughout human history. So we see that the problem is separation. The belief that we need to change is our belief that we are separate from each other, from life, from ourselves, and of course, from God. Once we toss that fundamental belief aside and say, oh, I see, we are all one. Everything on the planet could change. It would create a new global ethic, a new political ethic, a new economic ethic, yeah. a new social ethic, and of course, a new spiritual ethic, yeah. a new way of being human.
mm. on this planet. Mm. But who has put it together in that way? Who has even seen the issue, the problem, in the way I'm describing? Mm. One out of 17 million people? <laughs> this is why I was given this information in conversations with God. I was issued an invitation in conversations with God. Neil, awaken the species. Change the world's mind about God. Give people back to themselves. And I was invited to share that agenda with others and to invite them as well to embrace the agenda as their own to live their life in a way that changed the world's mind about God, that gave people back to themselves, and that awakened the species. The other day, I was walking down the street and coming back from a shop I was in, heading to my car, and there was a policeman who was putting a ticket, a parking ticket, under the windshield wiper of my car, and I thought, oh, darn it. Another $65 fine. <laughs> but, you know, as I got closer to him, I had a shift of consciousness. And I looked at him and I said, Officer, could I talk to you for a minute? It's my car that I'm putting a ticket on. And I know he thought I was going to give him a piece of my mind. He said, yeah, what's up? What do you want? I said, I said you know, I said, just want to tell you something. It's not lost on me. But every time you put that piece of silver metal on your shirt, in the morning before you go to work. You're making a private promise to yourself and, in, and by Im implication to me that you will put your life on the line if need be to save mine. Mm. And that's not lost on me. Mm. And I want you to know, I see who you are and I appreciate the promise you've made. He looked at me and blinked twice reached over to grab that ticket out from under, under the windshield, started to tear it up. I said, no, 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 whoa, 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 no, no, we're not playing. This was not tit for tat. This is not quid pro quo. I didn't say that to get you to tear up my ticket. You put that ticket right back where it was. You were doing your job, and that's what we're paying you to do. Mm. Not just the tough part, but the easy part as well. Mm. You go ahead and put that ticket right back where it was. I want you to know, ticket or no ticket, I believe at the depth of my being what I just said to you. Thank you for stepping out of your house every day and not even knowing whether you'll be coming home that night mm. because you've put yourself between me and my mortal danger if you have to. Yeah. And this policeman walked up to me. He was about 49 or 50 years old, I would guess. The smallest, not a big deal, but the smallest little tear, just a drop out of his right eye, streaking down his cheek. And he said, you know what, mister? I've been on this force for 27 years. No one has ever said anything close to that to me. Mm. You just made my whole career make sense. And he turned around and walked away. Wow. Give people back to themselves. Mm. It's really very simple. The whole idea of we're all one is you're, you're scratching an itch 
for me. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Alexander Shia. I have not. So Alexander Shia is, he's a friend of mine. He's a, a mentor. He's in his, I believe he's in his seventies. Um, I do some social media work for him, but he's, he's uh, researched in his backgrounds in anthropology, um, sociology, all those different kind of things. And early Christianity. One of the things he's taught me is that in the early church, now coming at this whole topic from a Christian perspective, I think we talked last time, I might not remember, but my background's in the evangelical world and I've deconstructed all that. So I'm rethinking everything. It's just all my beliefs are kind of out on the table, <laughs> broken up and scattered around. But he's helped me understand that in the very early church, like I'm talking like first century, the great, calls it the great prayer of Easter. Easter was celebrated over the course of a hundred days. He says the great prayer of Easter was may all be one. And that was the prayer that the church would come together and they would pray. And this idea of, of the, of the Christ and the Christ not being Jesus, Jesus, the Christ, but the Christ being the breath of God, the Christos, uh, the, the gospel, John calls it the logos, but the breath of God that is breathed into all of creation, thus connecting all of us together. And one of the things I've come to realize is that when I can see that you and I are connected by whatever you want to call it, the breath of God, the energy of God, the cosmos, whatever it is you want to call it. When I can see that we are connected and we are one, it's much more difficult for me to hate you. It's much more difficult for me to want to cause harm to you when I can see that you and I are of the same substance. And I've been trying to, even the people in my life who I have maybe great dislike for, maybe people in my life who I have great disagreement with. When I look at people, um, like you talked about the, the shooting in Texas and all the things going on there and just the different sides that people tend to take. When I can look at people on the other side and I can see that they are made of the same substance as I am and that at the end of the day, we are all one. I think that really changes the game to your point. I think that really is a big part of the solution and moving this whole thing forward is being able to recognize that we're not, there is no dichotomy. We're not separate. It's not us versus them. It's not this versus that, but it's, we're all together. We're all one. I think that just changes so much of our perspective if we can grasp that and move forward with it. So my point is that everything that you're saying is stuff that I'm getting from my friend, Alexander, because he was just on the podcast not that long ago, talking about this very same idea coming at it from a slightly different angle, but we're ending up in the very same same place in this conversation. So it's very enlightening for me. The man said something quite extraordinary. Hmm. He said, I and the Father are one. Yep. And we are brothers. That's right. He also said, try this. Love, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you yeah. and be good to those who would do you harm. Yeah. And when a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. And when a man steals your coat, give him your shirt as well. Yeah. And when a man demands that you walk one mile with him, Go with him, Twain. Yeah. 
and raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness that you might know who you really are, mm -hmm. that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. That's right. So here is my mantra. I have a personal little practice that helps me to stay connected with all that you and I are talking about. Mm -hmm. My little mantra, I say it the first time I see any particular person on any particular day. Maybe it's the first time I lay eyes on the person on the pillow next to me, mm -hmm. or maybe a relative in the other room or, or a friend, my neighbor across the street or somebody across town or somebody across the world. But the first time I lay eyes on any particular individual on any particular day, I use this mantra. I don't say it out loud because nobody would, nobody would get it. Mm -hmm. they, would, they, would, you know, they would look at me and say, by whose authority are you acting like this? <laughs> but I say it privately in my mind. When I see my wife for the first time that day, her long hair streaked across the pillow next to me. And I think, I have come that you may have life, and that you may have it more abundantly. Mm. Your life will be made better today for my having been part of it. I promise you. And I think that with regard to everybody that I see for the first time that day. Mm. Your life will be made better today for my having been part of it. Mm. Even if we have dramatically differing political points of view, dramatically different philosophical understandings and ideas, dramatically different lifestyles and characteristics, nevertheless, your life will be made better today for my having been part of it. I now we talk about we talk about Jesus and you know growing up I was always taught that Jesus came to show us all the ways we don't measure up you know that's what was the kind of the basic teaching was you know Jesus is showing you all of your flaws you know you're looking at Jesus and he's the one you're supposed to reach to and you're down here doing all the things wrong but now uh, I'm realizing that for me it's almost like Jesus in Jesus God divine whatever was holding up a mirror to us almost like reminding us of who we really are and i think like you said it's about that connection that he had like i and the i and the father are one he's showing us that what's most true about ourselves in him and in his life and his teachings and his even in the in the death the resurrection stories all those different things it's not showing us about what we're lacking it's showing us about what we have buried deep inside of us and maybe what we have forgotten what we've lost sight of what's been there but it's been buried and if we can just stir that a little bit and awaken it um, i think he's showing us the possibilities of what is possible in our lives he actually said to those who were following around with him to those who were walking with him he actually looked at them and said why are you so amazed <laughs> it's true he did say these that, yeah. things and more yeah shall you do also all right neil so we're, we're nearing the end of our time 
before we go though you did mention obviously this is being recorded the day after um what happened in texas and i know that a lot of people have reached out to me today to kind of express their frustration with some of the things you mentioned earlier about you know um why does god allow this stuff to happen and if god is really love why are these happening and you address that you know very well but my my question for you just kind of maybe parting parting words for people is as we kind of move forward in the wake of this yet another massacre we move forward into what will likely i'm sure be something else will happen down the road uh, whether it's in our soil or the soil of somewhere else what are what are some ways what is what is one way maybe that people can keep themselves grounded in their faith and not lose hope but i think it's very easy to lose hope in the midst of everything i think the one way is for us to ask and answer mm. life's fundamental question who am i mm. am i essentially a physical entity not much different from a bird in the sky or a fish in the sea mm. you know okay i'm a physical life form maybe more complex mm. but fundamentally i'm you know i'm born i live i die and that's it or am i a spiritual entity mm. is it possible just possible that i'm a spiritual entity having a physical experience is it possible that this is not who i am that I'm not my body, that I'm not my mind, that my body and my mind are simply tools that I have, that who I am is really a soul, a spirit, a spiritual entity. How we can have hope again is by understanding who we are and recommitting to the soul's agenda by understanding who we are and why we're here. Mm. What is the point of life after all? Yeah. Surely there must be something going on. There's more, you know, Shakespeare put it perfectly. There are more things in heaven and earth ratio than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Hmm. For us to really understand, oh, I see. I see who I am and why I'm here. Yeah. Glenn, I, I fell to my knees practically when I, after I got off the street, I lived on the sidewalk for a year because I had no money. It's a long story, but I had a car accident, broke my neck, and nobody would hire me. So without getting into the big drama of it, I wound up living on the sidewalk for a year because I had no way to stay alive. Mm. And I walked up to people one by one. Anything would help. Anything would help. By the way, having said that, never pass anybody who's asking for help. If all you give them is a quarter or a half dollar, if he can get a half dollar from everybody he talks to that day, he can actually buy a hamburger by the end of the day and maybe even a bag of french fries mm. and live to talk about it one more day. But that's another subject. So here I am, I get off the street, I finally get back on my feet and I'm calling out to God, okay, what does it take to make life work? I got it. There's something I don't understand about you know, how to not lose hope. Mm. You know, about life itself, I don't understand. Mm. What is it? What's, what's the secret here? And God's answer was quite direct and quite specific and very gentle. She said, sweetheart, it's very easy to know this. Your life is not about you. 
It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. Mm. But when you see that that's what your life is really about, you will in fact not experience that life is not about you. Yeah. You'll come to see that it's about big you, universal you, mm. not limited you, mm. not local you, but universal you. Mm. Because in fact, there is only one of us. So if you go about the rest of your day and the rest of your week and the rest of your life, clear that your life has nothing to do with you. Forget about it. You'll be here again tomorrow. Mm. Unless you're not, in which case it won't matter anyway. Mm. It becomes a moot point. But as long as you're here, understand that your life is not about you. Mm. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. My dear Glenn, since I turned that corner and used that as the guiding life of light of my life, not only have I not lost hope, I've lost the sense of struggle. I've lost the sense of not having enough. I've, I've lost virtually every negative aspect of life. And believe me, I know what it's like not to have enough. People can say, oh, Neil, that's easy for you to say. You've made a little bit of money with your book, blah, 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 blah. And I have to look at them and say, excuse me, you're mm -hmm. talking to a guy who spent a year on the sidewalk sleeping on the concrete. Don't talk to me about what it's like to have nothing. Mm -hmm. I lived the great American nightmare, mm -hmm. not for a couple of bad months or a couple of bad weeks, but for a year of my life. There's nothing you can tell me about living on the outside and being on the outside that I don't understand. I understand it not intellectually, but physically, mm. viscerally, experientially. Mm. So been there, done that. Yeah. And so I've, what I've now come to understand is, oh, I see who I am and why I'm here. And then I don't lose hope because what I'm looking at is the law of opposites which tells me that as soon as I declare anything about myself, everything unlike it will come into my experience as a sure and certain sign mm. that I am on the right path and that I'm heading in the way, in the direction in which my soul intended. Because if I say, metaphorically speaking, I am the light, I can't experience that, I can't express it, unless I find myself in the darkness. Yeah. Therefore, curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness, mm. that you might know who you really are. Yeah. So I don't lose hope. But sometimes I do lose a little patience with people who are responding differently to life itself. Yeah. For instance, as an example, some guy in Texas said, I think it was actually the governor who said, I want you all to go out and buy a gun. Everybody should go out. Everybody in this state should have a gun. We're lagging behind. There are more, more guns purchased in California than there are in Texas, he mm -hmm. said. We're lag we, got, we need to be number one because if every teacher in every school had a gun, these kinds of things wouldn't happen. What? Einstein said 
you can't solve the problem, any problem, using the same energy that created it. You're not going to bring an end to anger with anger, put an end to violence with more violence. That is a primitive, primitive cultural idea. Yeah. Change the behavior that sponsors the outcome that produces the killing of people. That's right. right. And just as an aside, maybe decide not to sell assault weapons to an 18-year-old on his 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have gotten it two days earlier. He deliberately waited until he was 18 and on his 18th birthday, walks into a store and buys two assault weapons and then goes and shoots 19 second and third graders. But not before he shot his grandmother. There's something fundamentally wrong with our cultural story. That's what we can do to not lose hope. Be a guiding model and a living example of a new cultural story. And there are those who look at you and think, who the hell do you think you are? By whose authority are you acting like this? You know, my father asked me that question from the time I was 14 years old. Who do you think you are anyway? He didn't realize he was asking me the fundamental metaphysical question of all time. But I realized it when I was around 23. Mm. Wow, he's, he was asking me the greatest question of all time. Who in hell do you think you are? Mm. So how I not lose hope is by seeing the opportunity that I have to step into the next grandest version of the greatest vision ever I held about who I am. Mm. And not coincidentally, about who you are. Neil, as per your mantra, uh, you have made all of our lives better by interacting with us today. So uh, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to obviously write your book. Thank you for taking the time to stop by and talk to me. Um, I appreciate you. Those are nice words to say to me. Thanks for those nice energies and that good thought. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the invitation to spend this time with you. Always, and I appreciate you uh, taking me up on it. Maybe we'll do it again soon. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. Just mind don't buy, don't play by the rules. I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right. Intuition gave me signs that everything is all right. Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls are moving and it's getting tight, getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill, kill Sometimes kill, it's getting kind of scary I'm here for the thrill Decisions on top of decisions like I chose a pill The bottle getting kind of empty Temptations made us presence in the air It's kind of tempting Shortcuts out the question But it got on my attention Uh-oh and I forgot but did I I mentioned, looks like I won the game, made my decision. I listen. I listen.
I've been busy searching for you, yeah Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah This mind don't buy no play by the rules, no Kept it on the low Gotta let it flow Gotta let it go, yeah On to something new, yeah Trying to play it cool Quit with all the tools, yeah Maybe you're more calling like I'm on flight at 28. Manifesting everything I take, it's not too late. Running to my purpose like I'm rushing to the gate. Of course, it's in my planning and it's also with my faith. At the end of the day, and we gon' find a way. It's a fact of the price that we pay. Everything shine to the gray. Nothing gon' break through the shade. Nothing gon' break through the hate. Everything all that we claim. Hit the red dot that I aim. No missing, I'm focused, no slipping, I'm growing, no talking, just showing, no stopping, keep going, yeah, I'm just trying to break codes, ain't nobody I owe, this the life that I chose, and I'm blessed for it. I've been busy searching for you, yeah, trying to figure out if it's true, true, don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah, this mind don't buy no play by the rules, no. Kept it on the low, gotta let it flow, gotta let it go, yeah. On to something new, trying to play it cool, quit with all the tools, 